Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. I am happy you're here today and I think this episode is going to be very interesting and informative for you. Um, today we're talking about GMOs, which before I researched I really didn't know anything about and so we're going to kind of dive into the pros and cons of that today and see um, why people are very anti-GMO, why people are very pro-GMO, and so we're going to get into that. But first, I want to do a five minutes of fun and it's going to be involving a BuzzFeed quiz again, even though I really don't like BuzzFeed that much, but they do have kind of some interesting quizzes. So as you can tell, obviously, this the name of this podcast is A Millennial Learns. However, I'm right on the cusp of being a millennial and not being Gen Z. Some people put the cutoff of being a millennial as 1994, I think, and some put it as late as 1997. I was born in 1995, so I... I'm right on the edge there where I'm really, I'm not like fully into a millennial, but I'm not a Gen Z either. So I wanted to take this quiz that um, BuzzFeed had about the, if you're on the cusp of being uh, uh, between generations, like which one you're in, because I always, my husband always teases me that I'm not a 90s baby or that I'm not a 90s kid because I was born in 95. So by the time I was really a kid, um, I was like, the 90s were over. Uh, he was born in 1989, so he was technically born in the 80s, but um, he grew up all through the 90s. So he argues he's more of a 90s kid with me, which is probably fair. Um, but I wanted to make sure with this quiz that I am actually a millennial and that my name of the name of my podcast is not just a lie. <laughs> um, okay, so the first question is, do you remember writing on VHS tapes with Sharpies? And I do. We had a lot of VHSs and we would write on them. Um, what do you think of when you hear the words TikTok? One of them is the Kesha song and one of them is the app. And like now I would have to say the app, sadly. Um, even though I did grow up on Kesha's song. So, before TikTok was a thing, I definitely thought of the Kesha song. I don't know, that's a toss-up. I guess I'll put the app, since I would now. Um, when you hear the name JoJo, who do you think of? JoJo Siwa or JoJo... I don't even know who this other JoJo is. Uh, okay, so I guess I'm doing JoJo Siwa. <laughs> Um, okay, when you think of Ice Cube's acting, which movie comes to mind? Friday or Are We There Yet? I don't know. I don't know either of these. I don't watch many movies. So, I mean, I've heard of Are We There Yet, and I I know that Friday is that meme where everyone goes, Damn! Uh, I'm going to skip that one. Maybe I'll just put Friday. Um, okay. Did you ever rank your top eight on MySpace? I never had a MySpace. This is one of the very clear distinctions. Like my brother is two years older than me. And I think he was at the age where he had a MySpace and I never got one because I was too young. And then by the time like MySpace was a thing, um, or by the time I was old enough, MySpace wasn't really a thing anymore. I think Facebook was starting and I, we never, my parents weren't pretty anti-social media anyway. Like we didn't, we weren't allowed to have like a Facebook or anything. So I never got any of that, but I was around during MySpace, I would say, but I'm going to say no. Um, did you wa grow up watching Hannah Montana or the sweet life of Zach and Cody? Oh, oh, it's not an either or. It's just, did you grow up watching Hannah Montana or the sweet life of Zach and Cody? And yes, I watch those all the time. Um, and then the other one is which jeans do you prefer? And I prefer skinny jeans over loose jeans. 
What was your first, was your first cell phone a flip phone? Yes, I had a Motorola Razor in bright pink and it was so great and it got out of date in like six months because like new phones back then, I feel like were constantly coming out. It was like every phone company was coming out with new ones. So as soon as you, even if you got like the coolest phone right away, like six months later, it was pretty obsolete because some other company would. Now it's like you either have Samsung or an iPhone or I guess uh, Google, I think. And I feel like, you know, iPhone drops are every just are longer spaced out. So you still have the, the latest phone for a little bit longer than you used to. Um, okay. The next one is when you hear the word Millie, what do you think of Millie Bobby Brown or a Millie by Lil Wayne? I was, <laughs> this is probably, I probably shouldn't have listened to this like for how old I was, but I was a super fan of the song a Millie by Lil Wayne when I was younger. So <laughs> I definitely think of that song. Um, next question. Did you memorize your friend's phone number so you could do three-way calls on your landline? Um, I definitely memorized some of my, well, I don't think I did. Cause I'm trying to think I was in fifth grade when I got my first phone. So I don't think I would be calling anyone before then. So I'm going to say, no, I did not do this. When you hear the name Harry who comes to mind. This one is not fair. The two options are Harry Styles and Harry Potter. I was not allowed to watch Harry Potter growing up. I still have never watched them or like read any of the books or anything. So never would Harry Potter come to my mind. So it's obviously Harry Styles because I love Harry Styles. But, but that's showing that I'm, that would show that I'm a Gen Z, but I'm not. I'm just a fan of Gen Z's music. I guess I'll have to go with my gut and say Harry Styles. Did you grow up watching T uh, MTV shows like Next, Date My Mom, and Room Raiders? Um, let's see, Date My Mom. I don't remember any of these three specifically, but I did watch MTV when I was younger. Like I watched um, my super Su my super sweet sixteen. <laughs> And I remember this one girl got like, she threw this fit and tantrum and like left her birthday party and said that she hated her parents because they got her a black like Lamborghini or something instead of a charcoal gray one. It was like an $80,000 car and she got this like uh, charcoal instead of black or something. Um, so I did watch those and I watched some MTV, but I don't remember next date my mom or room Raiders. I'm going to say yes anyway, because I watched MTV shows. Okay. And this says, and finally, which hair parting do you prefer middle or side? Definitely side. I look so bad, literally so bad with a, a middle part. I don't know how that's becoming popular because I've seen a lot of people try to like older millennials, like 30 year olds try to be hip and do a side part. And some people's face shape just does not work. I mean, sorry, they tried to do a middle part and some people's face shape just doesn't work with a middle part. Like if you have a very long, thin face, if you do a middle part, it's going to look way longer and thinner and it's not going to look as good. So no, I'm all for side parts, especially for my, I don't have a long, thin face, but my face doesn't work well with a middle part either. Um, okay. Results. Okay. He says, I'm a millennial. Phew. I did not lie on this podcast. Um, it says you cherish experiences in traveling over material items. As you've gotten older, your self-confidence has grown as well as your ambition. You have big dreams for yourself and you don't mind working hard to make them come true. And I think that is 
pretty accurate. So good news. I am a millennial, everyone. So, um, yeah, some of those were interesting. Like I, I do feel too young to be a true millennial because some of those like MTV ones, you know, I do not know some of the old movie references. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I'm on the cusp for sure, but words out, I am a millennial, so that's good. Um, okay. The other thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the GMOs podcast is that I am starting to do this podcast twice a week now, and it's going to be a little bit different. So every Monday, which is what you're used to, if you've been listening for a while, every Monday is going to stay the same. So I'm going to come out with a new episode every Monday. That's either about like faith, politics, could be health, anything that I want to research for that week. And I'm going to do like a whole deep dive on, you know, the research or history or whatever, whatever the topic is for that week. So that will stay the same. You can expect that every Monday. The other one is going to be a Bible, like a faith-based show, I guess, on Thursdays. So for that one, let me give you some background as to why I'm doing this. So every single year, I resolve to read the Bible all the way through from front to back within the year. I don't ever do it. So um, I've been really bad at holding myself to this resolution that I try every year. So this year was no different. I said, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. Well, I'm through the year, I'm hitting a lot of my other goals. Like I've lost weight and I'm eating healthier and I'm working out and all this stuff. I'm, I'm meeting a lot of other goals in my life, but I have really not picked up the Bible outside of, well, I shouldn't say that. We read the Bibles. We try to read the Bible in the morning, at least like a chunk of scripture in the morning um, before a day. Even that has been a little bit shaky. But other than that, I haven't really picked up the Bible to just go read it um, since like last year. Other than when I'm researching. Like if I'm researching a topic that's based on faith, I'll go really read some more. And we've been listening to church sermons and all that stuff. But that's not a substitute for actually reading the actual Bible and reading the Word of God and really getting immersed in it. So I looked up essentially and it was like the beginning of April and I had made no progress on my goal of reading the Bible, which I don't like. So I'm going to do it on the podcast to help hold myself accountable. So I'll be reading on the podcast. Basically what's going to happen is I have, I made a custom reading plan that spaces out my reading every day um, and tells me what I need to read. And I'm going to follow that plan take notes, journal about it, whatever. And on Thursdays, I'm going to take what I read that week and pull out like a couple themes or topics or questions that I had or something like that. And, and basically do another podcast about a faith based topic, not necessarily a debate, but like, for example, I read Genesis one through 30. That's going to be coming out on Thursday, the episode about that. So there's a lot of themes in Genesis one through 30, things like creation, intelligent design, Um, God's promises to us, uh, the fact that Satan is a liar. So I'm going to be talking about some of those topics on Thursdays um, based on the reading I did for that week. And that way I can keep myself accountable to read the Bible and I can learn a lot and it, it helps me kind of process what I just read. There's also no use in just reading the Bible and not applying it to your life at all. So I think it's really important to not only read it, but then try to pull out the core messages in it and process like your questions and concerns and anything that's confusing. Anyway, all that to say, um, expect another episode every Thursday about topics 
pertaining to my Bible reading that week. If you want to follow along, I will definitely, I can DM you or I'll just post the Bible schedule for that month on uh, my Instagram. So go follow me there, Abby Rancor, or sorry, um, at a millennial learns. You can also follow me at Abby Rancor. That's my personal one. Um, so I can post it there too. If you want to follow along with me, if you are also struggling on your Bible reading resolution. So, um, that's going to be really good. I'm, I'm actually really excited. I've learned a lot already and I'm only like 30 chapters into the Bible. So this is going to be great. Oh, and also the custom Bible reading plan that I made makes it so that it ends like basically Christmas time. So my last episode of the Bible series will come out by the end of the year. So, um, it's a, it's a bit accelerated from like normal, but we're just going straight through Genesis to Revelation. Um, it ends up being probably five, four to five chapters a day. So not too bad if we start now. So I hope you join me in that. It's going to be very fun, but let's get right on into, um, well, I say right on in, but I just talked for like 15 minutes. Let's get into the episode about GMOs. Thanks everyone. Hey everyone. Welcome to a millennial learns with me, Abby Rancor. This podcast is a place to learn about faith, theology, politics, history, and some fun random things along the way. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. As my intro said, we're going to be talking about GMOs today. Very excited about this one. Um, This isn't a usual topic that I would tend to go into um, for no particular reason. I just happen to usually like, you know, politics and history and um, faith and theology and stuff like that a little bit more. But this one really caught my eye because I am so uneducated about this, or I was before this podcast. Um, I had really no idea about what GMOs really were or how widespread they were or anything like that. I knew there was some controversy about labeling and and, um, some laws going into effect that would make businesses label if they did use GMO products in their foods. But yeah, I really didn't know much before that. So I am researching this because I was on the I side with quiz, which if you didn't listen to, I think it was the very first episode of the podcast. I did like a baseline of my beliefs, um, where I took the I side quiz, I side with.com political quiz. It basically tells you what political platform you line up with the most. Um, and this was a question on there about if I thought that companies should be required to label their foods if they have GMOs in them. And it was a hard one for me to answer at the time because I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew GMOs were genetically modified organisms, so genetically modified food. Um, But I said no to the labeling because I tend to like less regulation on business. I just think sometimes it's like unnecessary to put an unnecessary burden on businesses. However, I thought that I was probably anti- No, I thought it was probably for GMOs because I kept hearing before that GMOs are like the key to feeding the world essentially to like fixing hunger um, because they can produce like better crops or at least more crops um, in a wide variety of climates. So that's all I knew about GMOs. I don't think I was, I don't think I had a real opinion on GMOs themselves, but labeling, I think I was anti-labeling them. Um, So... I 
don't like when I have literally no idea about a topic, especially on one of those <laughs> quizzes. So I decided that this is the week to go learn about what GMOs are. Um, so we have basically two topics that I'm going to be covering here. One is what GMOs are and do I think we should be using them in general? And then the second one is going into the labeling debate about should companies be required to label if they use GMOs in their products. So let's get into what GMOs are. The definition of GMOs is... This is from, this is actually, this definition is from the non-GMO project website, uh, but still a good definition of what GMOs are. So a GMO or genetically modified organism is a plant, animal, microorganism, or other organism whose genetic makeup has been modified in a lab using genetic engineering or transgenic technology. This creates combinations of plant, animal, bacterial, and viral virus genes that do not occur in nature or through traditional crossbreeding methods. So... For people who were unaware, which I was, um, uh, basically farmers have for a long time been crossbreeding in a traditional, quote unquote, traditional method. Um, and that's been happening for a very long time. So let's say a farmer had like multiple fields, let's say of peppers, one group of peppers or one group of seeds that he had made very large peppers, but they were very susceptible to pests. Well, then if in his other field, he had like very small peppers, but they were super resistant to pests. They were good at withstanding that. Um, he, they would maybe try to traditionally crossbreed them. So basically like have them cross pollinate and make ideally a large pepper with, that was also resistant to pests. Um, so it is more random because you don't know it you could also make a small pepper who is susceptible to pests you don't really know it's not super exact the traditional crossbreeding method and it takes a long time so it takes generations for those traits to really catch on fully and have like a full field of the crop that you want so gmos are where scientists can go map out the genome of whatever organism you're trying to make find the spot where let's say Let's say you find the spot in the genes that are making the pepper small, you can cut that out and replace them with something else um, to make them bigger or more pest resistant or something like that. Um, so this is not only done in food. What I'm going to be focusing on today is food um, because the animal part of this gets so much more complex and really slides me into this moral dilemma about like gene altering in animals and humans that is a way bigger topic than than kind of what I originally wanted to get into but basically you can use this genome editing tool called CRISPR and go in and modify genes in plants animals and humans and edit edit their genes, modify them in some way. So I'm going to do a whole other episode on CRISPR at some point because there's been a lot of like experiments that have been done with CRISPR and it's used, it's used a lot. Um, but there's some really interesting cases where CRISPR is used to, um, modify things. But again, that's more animals and humans. I want to focus on foods and plants for this episode. So basically GMOs are when instead of traditional crossbreeding, farmers will buy seeds that have been genetically modified in a lab so that the changes um, that they want to make are very exact and they happen way quicker. You can do it within like one generation of a seed. You can go in and, and modify the 
traits that you want in that and plant them immediately the next season. You don't have to take a chance and hope that the right genes came together in your peppers or whatever. Um, so it's a lot more precise and it's a lot quicker. So GMOs in the farming industry specifically, which is what we're talking about today, are used to, like I said, produce higher yield crops. So like bigger, pro uh, bigger crops. Um, they can also be used to have a more consistent tasting product. So if you plant a field of peppers, um, there's going to have variability between the peppers if it's natural, ungenetically modified seeds. So genetically modified seeds help them all be consistent. Uh, they can resist pests and uh, pesticides and fertilizer better, and they can also extend the shelf life of food. Okay, so I want to get into the history of GMOs and figure out how old or new this practice is. So as I said, selective breeding has been around for years. It just takes a lot longer and it's more random. Um, in 1940, farmers and plant growers used how to learn, learned how to use radiation or chemicals to randomly change organisms' DNA. Well, DNA wasn't discovered, but they realized that if they used chemicals or radiation to organisms, the next generation of that plant would be different, which sounds super sketchy that we're using radiation that early on plants. But that was kind of the first hint that something like this could be modified um, and work. In 1953, DNA structure was discovered. Um, in 1973, Herbert Boyer and Stanley Cohen developed genetic engineering, which in for that one, they inserted DNA from one bacteria and they put it into a different bacteria. So that was like the very lowest level of genetic engineering. That was in 1973. Um, in, 1980, or in 1982, the FDA approved insulin, which was the first consumer GMO product on the market. That is a GMO product insulin is. So um, that is definitely a positive that insulin was put out there. That was in Again, 1982. In 1992, the FDA um, ruled that GMO plants must meet the same requirements as traditionally bred plants. So that means, like, if the nutrition is substantially different on food, like, it can't be lower nutrition. So you can't modify a food and then have it be, like, half the vitamins or something, you know. So it has to be the same nutritional requirements as traditionally bread plants. Um, in 1994, this is like kind of when the big, the first big thing happened with plants and, and GMOs. Um, in 1994, a tomato was the first bioengineered food to be grown. Um, the scientists modified a gene in there that delayed the ripening of the tomato to prolong the shelf life. And then in 2015, the FDA approves genetic modifications um, of salmon to be used as food. So they can be fed to animals or humans, but that was the first um, genetic modification of salmon, of an animal for food, essentially. Um, whereas before it was all plants, this is now um, expanded to fish. And then in 2016, they the Congress passed a labeling bill that required labeling um, on some foods. Now, this is about to go into effect in 2021, um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But basically, it's not all foods. There's some loopholes where you don't have to label. But um, yeah, they, they did pass a law about labeling. And that's where the debate kind of spawns from. Um, should they be labeled or not? Not really if we should use them or not, but I want to go into both. 
So I want to talk about the risks, I guess, of GMOs, or at least what the anti-GMO community um, has identified as their kind of hot topic risks or the negatives of GMOs. Um, so one of them is that they can cause environmental harm. So modified organisms could be inbred with natural organisms, and it could lead to the extinction of the original organism. Now, maybe I'm not understanding this right, but I don't really understand if that's a problem because in my eyes, I guess this might come along with health risks. If later down the road we find out that there's a lot of health risks associated with GMOs, if the original has gone out of, uh, like, has been extinct, that would be very bad. So I guess I guess that's a fair point. I was going to say that I don't get why this is a big deal because if you're making a better plant, it doesn't really matter if the original one goes extinct. But I guess it's a valid point to say that if we find health risks later or something where we don't want to be using GMOs, it's probably good to have the original plant not extinct. Um, so that's one of them. That's a big environmental impact. Also, the, the major one that I have found and that I was like kind of looking into was the health impacts to consumers. So the Institute for Responsible Technology says, quote, genetically modified foods have been linked to toxic and allergic reactions, sickness, sterile and dead livestock and damage to virtually every organ studied in lab animals. So that seems very, very stark. Um, they identify the big risks as toxicity, allergic reactions, antibiotic resistance, immunosuppression, cancer, and loss of nutrition. So there's a lot to dive into on here, but basically there's this study that was pointed to, and, and the problem with studying GMOs is the fact that like, I feel like it's similar to with my research with the vaccines, like Google and all these places, the CDC, the WHO, all of these things, they are they push so hard to say that GMOs are safe, which they totally might be, but even if they are, like they acknowledge no risk at all to anything related to GMOs. So similar to the vaccine, or if you go on and ask a question, it's like, don't ask a question about the side effects of the vaccine. It's safe, safe, safe. You know, and I just that that makes me so upset. <laughs> um so it was similar here where like the WHO and the CDC were just singing the praises of genetic uh, modifications without saying literally any risks at all. Um, so a few of the risks that these anti-GMO groups have pointed out, allergic reactions. So at one point there was um, a GMO soybean crop that was created using the DNA from a Brazil nut, and it put the Brazil nut DNA into the soybean crop. It turned out to be unsafe for people with nut allergies, but it was caught before. This is my confusion with it. Yes, I can see how that's definitely a problem, but they do a lot of allergen testing. So before they release it on the market, they have to disclose any allergens. And I believe it can't be any, it can't have an, a new allergen. So like a Brazil, you can't say, oh, this soybean crop has a warning where you can't eat it if you're allergic to nuts. That's not allowed to go to the market if it has a new allergen. So I don't really see that as being too big of a problem. Um, there is an argument, however, that since they're just putting the genes into, um, into a new plant, they don't exactly know where that new DNA is being inserted. So it could cause something to be um, unstable in the DNA and cause an allergic reaction to people who um, 
don't handle that combination of DNA well. Seems like an extremely low probability, but something to be aware of, I guess. The other interesting one was antibiotic resistance. So I, I didn't know how this was relevant, I guess. But basically what the concern is with this is that often these scientists who are creating genetically modified foods will add in an additional gene into the DNA, which makes modified cells resistant to antibiotics. So you know that if a cell has taken the changes correctly, it is resistant to antibiotics. So then they use an antibiotic to kill off any other cells that didn't take that DNA successfully. So then they have 100% of the new cells that did take the DNA. Um, so people are concerned that all the antibiotic resistant genes don't actually go away during your digestion. Like if you eat, I, I keep using peppers as an example, but if you eat a pepper that is has this antibiotic resistant gene in it, um, and you eat it up and chew it, the theory is that the genes all go away. Those antibiotic resistance genes go away during your digestion. What the concern is here is that those don't go away and they can be passed through um, basically when you poop it out and you can, it, it'll be passed through the sewage system, get into like water and be, um, and get into harmful bacteria where um, then that harmful bacteria will be resistant to antibiotics. This seems far-fetched a little bit. I'm gonna, not going to lie. I think the risk of that seems extremely low. I don't know everything about the sewage system in America, I guess. Um, but it sounded like not a, a ton of people are concerned about that. It's mostly like aller allergic reactions and cancer and stuff because of the instability of adding new DNA into a different organism. So the one about where it referenced that the organs of lab animals were toxic. Um, so I found one study that said that they fed them like a lot of genetically modified foods and then went back and looked that these rats had um, toxic organs or they had organ damage. I saw another article that basically refuted that and said that um, there was a whole other separate set of things that they were changing. So you can't say that that's the GMOs. And then another study was done that gave rats like a ton of genetically modified potatoes, like 12 times more than what humans would ever consume. Um, and there was nothing that showed in their organs as any different. So this is kind of a, you know, there's been studies that seemingly prove both, but it seems like there's been more honestly that are showing that they're safe. Um, but let me get into, that brings me to the benefits. So let me outline the other side's arguments first before I make my decision. But I think you see where I'm kind of leaning on these. Um, okay, so the benefits of GMOs. Uh, the benefits of GMOs, again, they have higher yield, consistent taste, they're resistant to droughts and pests. One of the biggest draws they farmers say is, um, and I guess scientists is pest resistance. So for farmers, it's a huge, it's a huge deal. If pests get into your crops, you can lose a lot of crops that way. And a lot of people use a lot of pesticides. So scientists took the genes of a bacteria, which I don't, I can't pronounce this name, so I'm not going to try, but there's a bacteria gene that they took out of the bacteria and put it into plants. 
Um, this makes it to, resistant to pests. And it also means, you know, there's a lot of environmental concerns about the use of GMOs, but, you know, you have a higher yield crop in a lower area, lower, you know, in lower acreage. So you have to use less fuel to go harvest the same amount of food. You um, get more food out of it, out of less land waste, I guess. And this one seems like a big environmental impact where you don't have to use as much pesticides or as many pesticides um, on your food if your food is already resistant to pests. So, you know, I get the health concerns of using GMOs, but I'm wondering if, you know, really it's not the argument of are GMOs unhealthy for you or could they be unhealthy? It's really are they more unhealthy than pesticides on your food? So, um yeah, that's just some food for thought. But the American Association of Advancement of Science says, quote, indeed, the science is quite clear. Crop improvement by the modern molecular techniques of biotechnology is safe. That same group then said the World Health Organization, the American Medical Association, the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, the British Royal Society, blah, 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 blah. And these respected organizations have examined the evidence and has come to the same conclusion. Consuming foods containing ingredients derived from genetically modified crops is no riskier than consuming the same foods containing ingredients from crop plants modified by conventional plant improvement techniques. Okay, so basically they're saying it's safe. Now, it's funny because they quote the World Health Organization, which after COVID, my trust in those organizations is completely shot. Like they change their mind every two seconds. I don't trust anything that comes from their mouth anymore, really. So them quoting the World Health Organization is like not convincing to me, to to be frank. Um, now, I'm not saying that I automatically go against what they say, but I'm not like... I'm not making my decision because World Health Organization tells me it's fine because they can say anything they want, apparently. Um, so yes, this one, they also um, quote, say, genetically modified crops can improve yields for farmers, reduce draws on natural resources and fossil fuels and provide nutritional benefits. So this is also funny because this article quotes the website, that quote was from the website of Monsanto, which I don't know if you've heard of it. I hadn't heard of it before, but apparently it's like the face of corporate greed. Monsanto is the biggest producer of genetically modified foods, um, like in the world. And so they quoted their own website saying they're safe and there's, you know, nutritional benefits. Again, like I'm not going to automatically say the opposite of them, but like, what am I going to do? Say that it's safe because the producer of them says it's safe. Like that, this argument really does nothing for me, but, um, anyway, it's funny. Some of these articles are like, yeah, it's safe because the producer of them says it's safe. It's like, okay. It reminds me of that Wayfair conspiracy theory. I don't know if anyone else remembers, but there was a, a thing going around the internet where these cabinets on Wayfair were selling for like $20,000. They were like basic, basic cabinets. They all had a different price and they had a name of someone on it. Um, they, there was this whole theory that basically if you bought a cabinet, you were actually buying like a human for like human trafficking. Anyway, um, Snopes went on and like quote debunked it and said, no, um, this is not true because Wayfair said that it was not true. It's like, well, okay, let's say that was true. Wayfair's still going to say it's not true. <laughs> like that doesn't prove anything to me. Um, so that's how this is. They're quoting the biggest manufacturer 
of GMOs and saying that GMOs are safe. Um, but the interesting thing there is they can be more nutritious. GMOs can be more nutritious than uh, regular foods, than the unmodified foods. So, for example, there's this African variety of corn that um, scientists have modified. And the modified corn has two times as much folate, six times as much vitamin C, and 169 times more beta carotene than regular unmodified corn. So this is one of the biggest draws of GMOs for me is like in countries where there is not enough food or there's some sort of famine or, or, you know, food is an issue. GMOs seem like a great, a great option because you can grow more that can stand better weather conditions that can stand better, like more pests that are just sturdier crops and you can add nutrition into it, which is very good for, you know, regions where food is lacking. And it'll make up for a lot of nutritional deficiencies. So I think that is a definite positive that we need to take into account. I mean, everything is risk benefit. So if you're in a country that has less food, like, yeah, the risk of GMOs being unhealthy is probably, you know, lower than the risk of not eating at all. So maybe GMOs are a great idea there. In America, where we have a lot of food, if, you know, if there's no risk of a shortage of food, maybe then that risk of GMO side effects becomes higher compared to the risk of not getting food at all. So I don't know, it might be different by region. Um, if we can use GMOs or not, or if, if we decide to use GMOs. So those are the positive and benefits there. As you can probably tell, I'm leaning towards the fact that GMOs, I'm fine with using GMOs, but let me go over a few stats first because part of it is the fact that I think it's too widespread to really roll back at this point, which might be a bad attitude, but let me just throw some facts at you really quick. So 90% of, this is for America, 90% of the soy, cotton, canola, corn, and sugar beets in the U.S. are genetically engineered. There's currently 10 types of crops that are genetically engineered in America. These are squash, soybean, corn, cotton, papaya, canola, alfalfa, sugar beets, potato, and apples. Those are our genetically modified foods in the U.S. So 75% of products on the market in America have GMOs in it. So that's like soups, crackers, like anything with those 10 ingredients, essentially, uh, 75% of those of the products have GMOs in them. So it's so widespread here. Very, very widespread. Um, the creations are patented. So like each company that modifies food can have a patent on it. So corn with bacteria genes, that has its own patent. Tomatoes with flounder genes, that's its own patent. There's a bunch of different um, possibilities, but basically these companies have to patent their creations so that people won't just keep replicating and replicating them. But the downside with that is it's patented. You can't save seed and replant it and try to propagate it on your own the next year. The problem with genetically modified foods is that it straps farmers to buy seeds from the same companies every single year. So Monsanto, a lot of people hate because it took people from like, hey, I can grow potatoes every year. I can save the seeds. I can replant potatoes, stuff like that. They can, they can be more self-sufficient. Well, GMOs, they signed an agreement with Monsanto saying that they can't save off the seeds, repropagate them, and then plant them again the next year. 
farmers, if they choose to do uh, GMO crops, are, are forced to buy seeds from Monsanto essentially every year. So a lot of people hate Monsanto, which I wasn't even aware of Monsanto before I started this. And I get it. They, you know, they make farmers buy from them every single year uh, with their patents. Now, a lot of people also get really up in arms about Monsanto because there's a few documentaries where it shows them suing individual farmers. And one of the most famous cases was they sued a farmer whose plants or whose neighbor, whose neighbor was using Monsanto Roundup, I think, because Monsanto makes Roundup. It blew onto his property and he decided to plant those seeds the next year. Um, and Monsanto sued him and there's been a lot of people sued. However, I looked into those more because I hate that. I hate when like huge companies go after the little guy, like that's so annoying, but it does sound kind of legit because it sounds like in the trial, you know, the seeds blew onto his farm. Nothing was, was bad, but he did choose to save off the seeds and propagate them, which they knew was against the patent, um, agreements and stuff. So it sounds like every single time that Monsanto has gone to court with a farmer, the uh, Monsanto ends up winning. So I don't think they're like willy nilly, like filing lawsuits over more of the problem for me is that now farmers have to go back and buy seeds from them every single year without really having a choice because of those patents. So it's, I guess a downside for farmers. However, um, overall at this point, I think I'm comfortable using and consuming GMOs because they've been around now for like 25 years. Now the vaccine, if you watch my vaccine episode, I said, I don't know the health risks essentially. And so I want to wait a while to get some more studies and stuff to know the health risks on people my age and pregnant women and all this kind of stuff. So this is a little bit different because it's been on the market for 25 years. There hasn't been a ton. I mean, there's been a couple studies that have come out, but they seem to be more or less debunked in a way or something was, there were too many variables or something like that. Most of the research that I've seen, uh, there's no difference between consuming. Now, I think if you have an allergy or if you have overall health concerns besides this, um, you might want to be more careful about consuming GMOs because again, there's like some risk in everything. There's going to be some risk in modifying a plant. Plus they modify different plants, different ways. So like a potato with flounder DNA could work fine with your system, but the soy with the Brazil nut DNA could mess something up. They do allergen testing before, so I don't think it's that big of a concern. But it's a good idea if you have a lot of health issues already, maybe GMOs are something you might want to avoid. For me, I'm generally healthy, not overweight, so I think like I'm relatively fine with using GMOs. There's After 25 years, I figured there would be a much more hard link made between health effects and GMOs if there was a direct cause there. I also think the advantages to growing more food that's healthier can help save a lot of lives. I've heard a lot, a lot of farmers talk about how GMOs are really the ticket to ending, not ending world hunger. I don't know if we'll ever fully end world hunger, but really feeding a significant portion of the population to, you know, have nutritional to like meet nutritional requirements to live. The benefit of that seems way, way higher to me than the vague possibility of me being slightly less healthy 
the other part is they are so widely distributed, at least in America. It's like if you're eating corn, pretty much just assume that they're, they've had GMOs. So everyone's eating them and you know, we're not the healthiest, but I don't think we're not everyone's dying of a heart attack or an allergic reaction or something all the time. So, um, the benefits seem to really outweigh the risks for me. But basically, like, that's for me. I don't think I'm going to go out of my way to avoid them. But if you're concerned by safety risks, then by all means, avoid them. But that brings me to the labeling debate. Should companies have to label GMOs? So I'm going to start this part off with the fact that I just don't like regulation on companies. I mean, there needs to be some, clearly. But I don't like excessive regulation. And this feels a bit excessive to me. Um, I think it makes it harder and more expensive to label so I don't think companies need to label foods, but this is why, this is my theory. It's because it, it's like so specific. So basically there's 10, there's those 10 crops that we are genetically modifying in the United States. But of those 10 crops, like upper 90 percentile of those crops are genetically modified. So 95% of corn is modified. Over 90% of soybeans are genetically modified. So I think if you're very concerned about GMOs in your food, I don't think the solution is making companies label them. Essentially, it seems like you have to just avoid those foods because here's my thought process. Maybe labeling is okay if it's like fresh produce, like how we have separated organic sections and non-organic sections. Maybe you can have like organic non-organic and non-GMO foods like produce because that's just putting it in another area. I don't think that's too big of a hit on businesses or whatever. So, but if you are going to a can of soup and there's corn in it, creating GMO corn is much cheaper. So it seems almost 100% likely that that can of soup was made from the cheaper corn so that they can make a better profit. So, I don't think companies need to label because if you're buying processed foods with any one of those vegetables in it, it's probably safe to assume that there's GMOs. Now, maybe fresh produce, it'd be okay to separate out into uh, GMO and non-GMO for consumers. That might be good. And I don't think that would be too big of a an impact on business. But people are worried about their bottom line. And if there is a can of soup with corn in it, you're it's probably 100% that that's using GMO corn. Now, if GMOs become a huge thing where people really don't want them, companies will be driven by just the marketplace to add labels onto their food saying non-GMO. So if they, if that soup company went out of their way and did non-GMO corn in there, they would probably want people to know and they can put a label saying proudly non-GMO um, and that would be good. But that's what the market is driving for. Kind of like Whole30, Whole30 started to become a thing and everyone was looking for Whole30 like foods and dressings and stuff. And now there's a whole section of the store that has Whole30 labels on dressings and on these foods to let people know that it's Whole30 because a lot of people wanted that. And that was market driven. That was like no law is, is making you put Whole30 on them. That's just what the companies recognize the consumer wants. I think GMOs are basically the, the same way. Um, and so far, other than the ruling in 2016, they did it legally, but if it wasn't a legal action taken, I don't think the demand for knowing about GMOs is high enough to, to warrant that. So 
Um, yeah, basically I don't like regulation and extra costs. I think labels should be put on there if the market demands it. So, um, but essentially if you're eating those 10 vegetables, I would just assume for the most part, they are GMO. Um, but I really think the health benefits are not that high. I mean, I really think the health risks are not that high compared to the benefits. And so I am, I think I'm fine with GMOs, which is kind of surprising. I really thought I was going to get into the research and hate GMOs, <laughs> but I, I really do think they are okay. Anyway, that is my research on GMOs. Let me know what you think. Um, you can DM me on Instagram or um, write a review if you liked this episode. Um, and let me know if you've had any experience with GMOs or if you are very passionate about the subject. I always love to learn more even after my podcast is released. So let me know. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And um, I will see you on Thursday for our first Bible episode. And remember, if you want to follow along, we're reading Genesis 1 through 30, and I'll be talking about a few themes in there. So anyway, have a great week, everyone. Bye.